Thanks for taking part of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of rip-offs in today's Clark Rageous Moment, criminals specifically targeting the most vulnerable upon us. I'll fill you in what you need to know. And later, when you pick a cell phone company, you want a company that's going to treat you right, right? It's not just about dollars and cents. I'll share with you which companies get the best ratings for customer satisfaction, who gets the worst ratings for customer satisfaction. I want to talk about something right now that is something that is always controversial. It's those best of lists and worst of lists. But this is one that uses methodology that I can get my arms around and is not as subjective as other best of and worst of lists. This is something that was done by 24-7 Wall Street, analyzing if you were to move somewhere, particularly if you're thinking of retiring somewhere, where are the cheapest places in America for you to live and where's the most expensive? So what do you think? Should I do cheapest first or most expensive? We'll start with most expensive. What do you think the most expensive state in the United States is to live out your retirement? If you guessed like so many people would, New York, you are wrong or mistaken. It is actually Alaska. And Alaska is quite a bit more expensive than most any other place other than Hawaii. So our nation's 49th and 50th states are the places that the cost of living is really, really extreme for the average household. And so it costs somebody in retirement on average just under $5,000 a month to live a basic retirement in Alaska, slightly less than Hawaii. And third place, New York, at a little over $4,000 a month, 50 grand a year for you to live. Followed right on the heels of it, California. But I never would have guessed the fifth most expensive place to retire in the United States. It is Vermont. Who would have seen that coming? I'm telling you, I would not have seen Vermont in there. Now, when I round out the top 10 most expensive, and I'll go quick with the the rest of them, because um, these are all somewhat close together, except for Hawaii and Alaska. Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia, Massachusetts. So we got a lot of eastern seaboard that's really expensive to live. At the other extreme, where's the cheapest place in America to retire? What do you think it is? Any idea? The cheapest place in the whole country is the state of Arkansas. It costs roughly $3,000 a month 
to live in retirement there. So think about Alaska was just under 5000 a month to live. Arkansas, 3000 Right there with it, New Mexico, Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan, all roughly grouped together. So as one to five being the cheapest places in retirement, they're so close together, there's not even a point of trying to draw the distinction in where you should go. If any of those five uh, appeal to you, they would be places you could look at where your dollar would stretch the furthest. The next five, Indiana, Nevada, Idaho, Mississippi, and North Dakota. A lot of representation from the upper Midwest in that list. You want to see the whole thing, we have a link for you at Clark.com. But just remember, cost of living is not everything if you wouldn't be happy in the place. But by giving you 10 places that are really going to eat up your wallet, 10 places that really smile on your wallet, hopefully within that 10 places that will smile on your wallet, you find a place you'd enjoy living if you want to stretch every dollar. Wyatt is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Wyatt. Hey, how are you doing, Mr. Clark? Great, thank you, Wyatt. And where in these great United States do you live? I am actually in Wasilla, Alaska. So I think that must have been really funny for you to just hear me say it was the most expensive state to live in in the United States. Yeah, it did kind of catch me off guard a little bit. So, so how can I be of service to you? Um, so I am 18, I'm in college, and I'm working, and I have, or so I'm paying for college as I go, and so far I am completely debt-free, and I have just over $1,000 already in Vanguard. And do you have that 1000 in Vanguard in a Roth IRA, or do you have it in a regular investment account? Right now I have about 700 in a regular investment account, but I'm working on switching it all over into a Roth IRA that I opened like two weeks ago. That's excellent. Because you do a Roth, uh, your tax bracket as you work your way through school, your tax bracket's like nothing. And so yeah. having money that goes into a Roth that you can just leave alone and have it grow tax-free. How old are you in college? I am 18 years old. Wait a minute. You're 18, you're working and paying your way through college, and you're throwing off enough excess cash that you're thinking about saving for retirement. Who motivated you? Where did it come from that you have such (laughs) incredibly great money habits? Was it a family member or a friend? The high school I went to is like a pretty good high school. It had a... uh, financial or personal finance class that I took and that kind of really got me going on retirement and the stock market and all that. So you must have had a great teacher in that class that motivated you. Yeah, his name was Mr. Taylor. He was pretty good. That's great. Well, Mr. Taylor, you got a pretty good out of a teenager. That's that's excellent. So that's great. Uh, so it uh, sounds like you're on a great path How can I be of help to you? I was just kind of wondering if there's any other place that I could put it that would be better. No chance. No chance. You are doing, with you opening that Vanguard Roth IRA, 
you're doing exactly the right thing. And to keep it simple, I would. You're 18. I would look at going in the. I think the latest Vanguard has is a target retirement 2065. Yeah, I've been looking at those. That's where I'd put the Roth money. Okay. And, and just let it grow in there. And you do this at 18. You keep doing it as you're going through school. You hit your early 20s. You keep putting money in that Roth. What it means is that you will have the ability to bag work at a much earlier age than most people, or you will be able to work a normal um, lifespan, and when you retire, you'll even be able to afford the cost of living in Alaska. <laughs> Although I, I think I'd rather retire in like Arizona or something. Well, great choice. Keep up what you're doing, and you can put in a max of 6000 in a year, as long as you're earning that or more. But whatever amount of money, once you uh, fund that target retirement fund, you need 1000 to open it, to open that Roth IRA and put it in that target retirement fund. You just keep adding to it as you can or automatically have money go in it every month. And the more you put in, the more financial security it will create for you down the road tax-free. Angelique is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angelique. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Angelique. But you're facing a rough deal right now, aren't you? I am. It's a difficult decision to make, um, and I'm hoping for some advice on what the best path to go is. Let me hear. What's the story? All right. So um, I've got four children, and we've had a rough couple of years, um, and basically I'm about $46,000 in debt specifically for credit card, mostly medical and dental expenses. But if you took all of that and rolled it into one big one big number, it's $46,000. All right, <clears> so let me say ways. something to you. Uh, half of people who have debt problems have it because of medical. And the thing about medical debt is that it is different than lifestyle debt because medical debt didn't come about because of the way you live your life. It came about because of circumstances that invaded your life. So Exactly. So exactly. People who have medical debt usually are not in a position where it, as they get the debt paid off, they go right back to charging it up, where people who did it with lifestyle end up uh, having a really hard time changing their habits. So Yeah, I, I have an excellent credit score and have always – lived very carefully and tried to, you know, put money away for the house and um, didn't even have a balance on my credit card for the last two years. Now, all of a sudden, I'm I'm literally swimming in it. Well, I hope um, that the medical expense had a good outcome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is, is better now, but it was, Great. you know, three surgeries and some Aww. serious dental issues. Aww. But anyway. So tell me, short, how, what are you thinking of doing to deal with this credit card debt? Well, when I look at what I owe and who I owe it to, two of the medical um, expense companies, I've been able to get financed. And if I can pay one of them off in a year, it'll be 0% interest. So I want to keep paying on that one. And I have another one through the hospital that they said um, they would finance interest free for, I think, two years. So I've got a payment plan with that. So I set those aside because there's 0% interest and I figure I, I can't lose there. But the other four are $1,400 a month on spending 
on making those payments, and the interest rates are between 8% and 24%. But I have a um, uh, two different things set aside for, for retirement. One of them is a, and I don't really understand what it is, it's a security benefit total value annuity, um, five-year TVI index. Yeah, you can't, you can't touch <laughs> that annuity that. without all kinds of tax problems. Well, looking at the statement that they sent me recently, it says that the account value is $56,000 and the cash surrender value is $47,000. Oh, don't touch it. Don't touch it. No? Don't touch it because not only do you have um, a massive penalty of, sounds like it's 17% penalty, which is one of the reasons I despise annuities so much, but you also generate severe tax problems if you touch it. So it's so a that double cash whammy. value doesn't include the tax penalty of like what thirty percent. No, the tax penalty usually, if you uh, touch retirement funds, will be forty some odd percent. Oh so, wow! So that that mm-hmm. take that out of the table, take that out of consideration. What else are you considering? Um, I also have um, a retirement. Um, it's a, like a life insurance plan that I pay $400 a month for. It's a, like a $350,000 life insurance that when I reach retirement age, um, will start. I start drawing from it. Um, and if I should die, then whatever's left of the 350000 goes to my family. If I don't die, it will continue to pay me monthly while I'm living. All right. So in that case, are you allowed to borrow from that policy? I am. Um, I looked at it recently, and I think it said I could borrow maybe $14,000 or something. And what interest rate do they allow you to borrow at? I'm not certain. All right. This gets pretty complicated here, and that may be a viable option, but you got to find out what the rate is. But I think in this case, I would love for you to go sit down with a counselor at an affiliate of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, mm-hmm. nfcc.org. Go meet with somebody. They're very good at dealing with people who have overhang from medical debts mm-hmm. and may be able to help you come up with a workable way to pay this debt off. Definitely, okay. without doubt, do not touch that annuity. And I only want you to touch that life insurance if it makes sense after you have met with a counselor at NFCC, at one of the affiliates, that's normally free to sit down with one. And I'd like you to do that as quickly as you can to come up with the best decisions to make. Two new reports from the federal government involved today's Clark Rageous moment. It's scammers going after our loved ones, generally, almost always specifically, grandparents. First, financial abuse of seniors under a new report from the feds has hit an all-time record high. It is unreal. These are just the ones reported. The number of abuses financially of grandparents has doubled in just the last four years. This is a terrible problem. A lot of it because grown children are scattered around the country They're not quite aware what's going on with their parents' finances, and it is a brutal, decimating problem financially and psychologically for senior citizens when they have their money stolen or cheated. 
The second federal report involves the grandparent scam, where you're called by somebody impersonating your grandchild, that they figured out who it is on social media, and they tell you this tall tale that uh, your grandson or granddaughter's in jail, been injured in an accident, whatever it is, they're in trouble. Over and over again, grandparents rush to the bank and wire money to the crooks impersonating a grandkid. One thing, call them. Often you'll find, hey, they're just fine. What are you talking about? I'm not in jail. I'm not injured. That call is the first step for truth serum to avoid getting scammed. But adult children, the real responsibility falls on you to make sure you know what's going on with your parents so they don't get scammed. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. So we spend a lot of money every year on cell phone service. And I'll tell you a funny thing. When people talk to me, ask me whatever about their cell phone service, there's virtually not a person who I talk to who isn't overpaying. Let me put it another way. Everybody seems to be overpaying. And I tell people once they ask how much they could save per month, even with who they're with, and they look at me like deer in headlights. Really? I can do that? How can I do that? What do I do? And it's a consistent thing that people who especially have been with Verizon or AT&T for a long time, you are with, I would say, probably 100% certainty, way overpaying, way, way overpaying, because as the two monopoly phone companies around the country, early in the cell phone industry, they had people who had been with them a long time And it's a loyalty penalty, not a loyalty benefit. But where are you actually going to get the best experience? Where are you going to get the best customer experience? Who's got the happiest customers? Two surveys recently that were written about by The Motley Fool. One was a Harris poll of... This is amazing. I mean, when do you ever hear a sample size this large? Almost 400,000 people. Another by YouGov, 35,000 people. And what did they find? Far and away, the happiest customers are the customers of T-Mobile. The unhappiest customers are the customers of AT&T. And Verizon kind of in the middle. So when you're looking for cell phone service, the weird thing is usually people think you get what you pay for. T-Mobile, much more aggressive than Verizon or AT&T, generally with rate plans significantly cheaper, And particularly for people who are military personnel or former military personnel or for people 55 and over, the T-Mobile price advantage is enormous. And typically for a family, 
You're talking about savings in the thousands per year. And then on top of that, having the highest customer satisfaction. So it's the opposite of what you might think with get what you pay for. You pay a lower price and you have a better experience. So it's your choice. But remember this. Remember what I said at the very beginning. No matter who you're with and who you choose to stay with, almost certainly there are lower prices available than what you're currently paying. At Clark.com, we have a guide that we repeatedly update with what the pricing plans are available that can save you substantial amount of money being with who you're with, one of their discounters, or an independent. Remember whose money it is. It's your money. Ron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ron. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks. So, Ron, you've got a complicated situation to lay out for me. Yeah, um, it's an unfortunate situation. Um, my sister and her husband are um, in a rough patch in their marriage. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, and uh, the, the context is that when they bought their condo a number of years ago, um, uh, she liquidated her 401k about uh, about $11,000 to get the loan. Um, neither were um, high earners, so that was a substantial portion of uh, that was her her savings of uh, from her uh, from her early twenties. Um, so, anyways, they got the loan. Um, been living there uh, for a number of years, um, and then over the last couple of years has been rough. And they're not quite at the point where they're looking for a, a divorce. They're still trying to work on it. My sister uh, uh, sounds like she's doing a little bit more on the financial stuff. Um, the present situation is that um, she hasn't been living there for a couple months. Um, and uh, I think about six, um, but because she doesn't want to wreck her credit, she is um, uh, he is basically forcing her to uh, pay half of the mortgage um, um, for a place yeah. she's not even living. Correct. Um, so she's she's not living there, and she's paying half the mortgage. Um, he is, and he's still living there. Um, he has told her that he will only pay his half of the mortgage. Um, if she pulls uh, her fair share on the other portion of the debt, which he's continued to rack up in the last several months of not being there. Yeah. He's financed TVs and PlayStations, other stuff from Best Buy and stuff. So the um, the financial responsibility... Wait, wait, can I stop you for a second? I'm only hearing your side of this, but it sure sounds like your sister's been in an abusive relationship that continues to be abusive even when she's not in the relationship. I would agree. Um, I have to, I'll be getting a lot of her side of the story. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to help them, support, you know, supporting them through this rough patch. Um, so, and, uh, you know, as, I've, as I want to support them and, and hopefully help them get through this. Um, in the meantime, I guess my question is, you know, she's, she's sinking, she's, not, she's paying for a place that she's not living. Right. Uh, so her, her cash flow is, is directed towards that. She doesn't want a record credit. Same time, if, um, if, things for the nuclear option and they have to sell the condo and split the money. There's a mechanism for that. Um, but uh, aside from that, um, and hopefully it doesn't go that route. Um, is there a way that she can decouple, um, her financial responsibility from his irresponsibility? 
Unfortunately, on the home, they're both on the mortgage, correct? Correct. So they're both individually and collectively responsible for that mortgage. So regardless of what happens with their with their marriage, whether they patch things up, they don't, or they stay in that uh, muddy middle like they seem to be right now, not sure where they're going, they both are fully on the hook. And so she uh, cannot just say, well, I'm not living there, I'm not going to pay, because then if he stops paying, then not only has she ruined her credit, but she's still liable for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your, I know you're an interested party, so I'm asking you a tough question. Looking at it from the outside, looking in, what do you bet the odds are? Are they likely to be able to make things work, or do you think they're whistling past a failed marriage at this moment? You know, I, 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 if if things if there's not like a major like like change of heart or something like that, it's not going to get better. Okay. Um, there has to be some kind of like like major, um, uh, yeah, some major reconciliation right. unless that happens it's not going to work right so she doesn't make a lot of money um so some things i'm going to say we got to come up with ways to make it work for her but she needs some counseling stat she needs to really examine what's going on examine where her head and her heart are and also the way apparently she's not being treated well no longer living in the house and if she can't afford counseling, is she a member of any religious congregation or church where there may be counseling available? Sure. Um, and uh, in the, the last year, they, they were paying for uh, counseling. Um, he dropped that. Um, she has, uh, through one church or another, um, has um, sought counseling, uh, which has been offered for free, um, but he is unwilling to participate. So in she that. needs to do it. With or without him, she needs to do it because she's got to deal with her own head, her own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will help her towards the answers that come next, which is if she hasn't done so yet, the messiness of this situation, I need for her to go see a divorce attorney, even if that's not where she's going to end up. Okay. She's got to know her financial rights and responsibilities under her state laws, and so that's got to be a necessary visit. Okay. And so I think she's got to work on parallel tracks of the counseling and also the legal, and because really both are on the clearly part of the current situation. And please let your sister know for me that as bleak and difficult as things are right now, Life has a way of working out, even if she does go through a difficult phase right now. Robin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Robin. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And yourself? Good, thank you. So, Robin, you are thinking of selling a home, is that right? I would like to, yes, in the next few months. Well, let's see if I can be of help to you with that. Wonderful. I just wondered what your opinion was on 
um, comparing that the new guaranteed offer systems that are out there versus listing with a traditional real estate agent. So it's more a scale rather than do this or don't do this. So let's talk about the advantages of this fast-growing system of a big financial player just buying your house and saying, okay, you're done, go ahead and move out, versus a traditional arrangement where you list the home, you guess at a price with the help of the real estate professional, and, and you live your life in that house unless and until somebody buys it. So one is a phenomenal lifestyle benefit with these new services which are competing like crazy with each other and fast growing around america they make you an offer for your home they then net out usually taking somewhere um uh, seven eight nine ten percent of what they offer you is like a, a a seller's fee so the price they offer you is that minus that percent and you just move you're just done um, the advantage of that is certainty. And if the price you're offered is one you can live with, it's great because you're done and you move on. Um, I think it's important if you're going to think about one of those offers that you look at what other homes as close to similar to yours as you can find have sold for in the last year. And I can expect about 10% under that? No, you can expect... Remember, you, you get an offer from them, then there's like a fee they take. So your actual oh. real net is somewhere um, usually 7 to 10% less. Of whatever they offer. Right. So if they offer gotcha. you 300000 they'll they're not really paying you 300000 It might be somewhere between uh, two hundred and seventy and, what would that be, two eighty somewhere in that range. Okay. Um, okay. So... The And it all depends on how good their offer is versus as best you can figure out what things are going for in the neighborhood. Now, if you sell the traditional way, you just don't know, right? Right. How soon it will sell and what ultimately you'll sell for, regardless of what you initially list it for. So right. the reason these companies are growing so fast is because people really love not having to worry. And not if you have kids or whatever, not having to deal with open houses, scrambling to get the kids up and out of the house, get the house clean enough to be shown and all that. Gotcha. So it's a lifestyle choice and certainty choice versus maybe getting more money the traditional way. Okay. But there are no, they are legitimate. Completely legit. Completely legit. And know that if you live in a major metro area, particularly in the South and the West, you may have three, four, five different companies offering this selling method. Okay. And so you want to get offers from all of them. Okay. And we have a list of uh, several of them on our briefing about it on Clark.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clint's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Clint. How are you? Pretty good today. How are you today? Great, thank you. Clint, there's something you've noticed when you go out to eat that's got you really freaked out. What is it? Well, I've I've noticed at a couple of different uh, well-known fast food uh, chain restaurants lately uh, that I've gone to, I uh, use my credit card to pay, and then at the bottom of the receipt, uh, it has my uh, full name printed out, Uh, not where... like my signature or anything, but, but it, it, it has got my full name uh, at the bottom of the receipt, sort of down there near where it puts the uh, last four digits of your credit card number. And I don't see that on every receipt that I get. Um, so it's just kind of kind of uh, uh, confusing as, as to why some businesses would include that and others would not. Actually, it's become a lot more common now. And it's weird. It's like going back in time. When before we had electronic processing of credit cards and they used to manually run a credit card slip, you'd always have your full card number on it. Yes. And it would have whatever your name is that's listed on the card. And and that's why people were always told back then destroy your carbons um, Mm -hmm. and make sure you keep your receipts. Well, now Mm -hmm. in particularly in the restaurant business, uh, sit-down restaurants, fast food, it has become common practice, again, that your name is on the electronic receipt. Hmm. And the bad part about that is that, and I don't want to talk too much about this, not to give people ideas, but there are people who know how to figure out, based on the last four of a credit card, be able to make a decent guess what the rest of the numbers are. Exactly. I understand what you mean there. So it brings up the point that uh, when you get a receipt, unless you need it for some kind of accounting purpose or something like that, that you rip it up into pieces and put it in the trash right at the place you're eating or that you stash in your pocket and you throw it away when you get home. Well, what concerns me is that uh, sometimes they, they might ask you, do you want your receipt? And, and what if uh, a customer had no idea that their name was printed on there, and then they, then they don't know who, who could end up with that receipt at that point? You are completely right, and that makes you a member of our team explaining this to people so they'll be paranoid enough to always get their receipt. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.